Hi, my name is Amber and thanks for watching today. Before we get started, we wanted to fill you in on our church. Here at Grace Community Church, we have a mission and purpose. Our goal is to point people towards Jesus. If you are looking for a church, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here at Grace. There are a couple different ways for you to start getting connected to Grace. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, and more information about service times and smaller groups can be found at ohiograce.com. We would also like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. The times are 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We have a great time gathering for music, hanging out, and learning about who God is and how that affects our lives. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace. So parables, uh, we, we left off last time and we're, we're going to go right back into Matthew chapter 13. And then Jesus was teaching it. There's been a shift in his ministry a little bit. Jesus is teaching increasingly in parables. More and more now he's doing that outside rather than in the synagogue. And then he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And then he left the house and went down to the shore, and a bunch of crowds, more and more people, are becoming aware of his ministry. They're following him, crowding him. And then so he launches out in a boat. He sits down to teach, which is the posture of the teachers back then. Everybody's standing on the shore, and then he tells the parable of the sower and the soils that we talked about last Sunday. And then now he starts telling some other parables and now the next parable he introduces with the kingdom of God is like this. And it's the beginning of six parables that all start with that phrase. The kingdom of God is like this. And he tells a parable of the wheat and the tares. And that's kind of where we pick it up. After uh, he tells that parable, uh, then he tells a couple more then he heads back in, and we're going to just kind of follow the flow of what's happening in Jesus' life. But when he says the kingdom of heaven is like, the Jewish people are all ears because they're waiting for the Messiah who's going to usher in the kingdom, and they know that has everything to do with Israel, and they're Jewish people, so they are tuned in. They're waiting to hear what this person says, who some people say is the Messiah, what he's going to say about the kingdom but it's not what they expect. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain... 
Then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you, while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So he tells this parable, everybody's hearing it, not what they're expecting after he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he tells another couple of parables. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, he says, a mustard seed. And even though a mustard seed is the smallest seed that they would typically plant in Palestine at the time, it grew up into the biggest plant that they would harvest. So that was, so the smallest seed grows to the biggest plant in the garden. Then he told another parable about the leaven, which is yeast, and describing something that they would see daily, that women, when they would make bread every day, as the bread, after the bread rised, they would take some of that dough, that risen dough, take a pinch of it, put it to the side before they baked it, then they baked their bread. Then the next day, when they were mixing their flour and water, they would take that pinch of that old dough that was leavened and stick that into the middle of this new lump of dough, and that would cause then that dough to rise. And we all know that bread with yeast that's risen is way better than unleavened bread, which doesn't taste so great. So everybody knew what was going on there. And so he tells those parables. Then he leaves the shore he goes back into the house where he was before he told the parable of the soils that we talked about last week. And when he gets there, the disciples say, hey, we want you to explain one of those parables. But it wasn't the last parable he talked about, the parable of the leaven or the yeast. And it wasn't the parable of the mustard seed. They're like, uh, Jesus, can you go back and tell us about the one parable about the weeds that get burned up? We want to hear a little more about that. We want to hear what that's all about. So that's what's happening. And then Jesus explains to them that parable. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Old Testament prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. That hidden since the foundation of the world, we'll get back to that in a minute. And then it says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels... And they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness 
and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth or grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And as Jesus explains this parable and then says, listen carefully, he who has ears, let him hear. What I want us to see is three truths that Jesus brings out in the explanation of his parable of the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares. One is, The king has planted his kingdom. Secondly, the king has patience. And third, even though the king has patience, the king will one day come and judge. So those are the three truths that we need to get as Jesus is explaining to us what this parable exactly means and tells us who all the players are. Now, the first thing that was unusual, if we were going to describe a kingdom an earthly kingdom, which is what the Jewish people were expecting, Then, and he says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. Everybody's tuned in, and now all of a sudden he's back to the agricultural kind of a a picture. Nobody's thinking, you know, if we were going to describe a kingdom today, well, here's how the kingdom of England was, or here's how it was in the 14th century, or this, this, this. We, We would be talking about conquest and rule and taking over and, you know, gaining ground and all these things. That's what the Jewish people were expecting in the kingdom. And they weren't all wrong. Just the timing was off. So it's not what the Jewish people were expecting. Uh, They were expecting, and here's the reason, that when the Messiah, when their true king came to rule, that it would drastically change their circumstances. Because the Jewish people of the first century, they thought, we have one big problem, and that's called Rome. Rome is occupying us. Rome is running us. Rome is taxing us. It's not fair. It's not right. They're ungodly. They're interfering with how we worship God. Our big problem is Rome. And so when they knew that the Messiah prophesied from the Old Testament would come, and that was their Bible at the time, the Old Testament, they knew that he was going to reign. And so they thought, well, the one thing that the Messiah, and by the way, they're listening to Jesus and more and more people are whispering that Jesus is the Messiah. And more and more they're seeing Jesus do things that only the Messiah can do. But they had this one huge expectation that when the Messiah would come, somehow he would overthrow Rome and win their independence. That was key to them. But this parable does not sound like that. Hold it. You have wheat and weeds growing together intermingled. And when you're told that, The king doesn't say, yeah, take care of that. The king says, wait. You know, so that's that's violating their expectations. And because of that expectation that the Messiah would win their independence, Israel became open to a bunch of false messiahs. As a matter of fact, we know that uh, in the history of the early church in Acts chapter 5, a guy named that's on the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel, he's, he's, they have brought in Peter and the disciples because they're preaching the word. A bunch of people have become Christians, and they're in the temple grounds, and they arrest them and bring them in. And they're deciding what to do with them, whether they should kill them or not. And Gamaliel says, hey, remember how this goes? These people come and they say they're messiahs, 
But then and some people will follow them, but then they'll get killed because they'll try to overthrow Rome, and Rome will, will wipe them out, and then that's the end of it. And he actually mentions two guys, Judas the, the Galilean and a guy named Thaddeus. So, he, so Gamaliel is saying, hey, there's these false messiahs that keep showing up. And see, that was really easy in the first century because they had this big problem, Rome. So anytime somebody showed up and said, oh, you have, hey, Rome's our big problem, right? Is that our biggest problem? Yeah. And then anybody that said, oh, hey, well, I can take care of Rome. I can, ride, I can lead a revolt against Rome. Well, then all of a sudden, he was open to be the Messiah. So that opened them up to false messiahs because they were expecting the Messiah would change their circumstance. But you know what? It's the same way today. Today, how many of you have talked to somebody about God, and then you'll hear something back, they'll push back, and it'll sound something like this. They'll say, well, you know, you want me to believe in God, and you know, I, I kind of believed in God, or I used to believe in God, but what happened is some bad circumstance showed up in my life, something that was terrible. You know, I just hated it. So, I prayed to God and said, God, fix this for me, and if you fix this for me, I will follow you and I will believe in you. But you know what happened? God didn't show up. And because God didn't show up, I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to believe in him. Now, anybody hear that? Yeah, we hear that. This, and I started thinking about this today. I just started thinking about that whole example. And he, here's what's interesting to me about that. It's like their default position is that there is a God, so they pray to him, they ask him. And not only that, he's a God that can actually do something. He's powerful, and he's good. So they're thinking God, they, they're already thinking there is a God, probably, and he would be, he's powerful. He could change the circumstance if he wanted, and because he's good, I would expect that he might do that. And then when he doesn't show up, he doesn't do what we want him to do, then they say, well, he didn't show up, so I'm out. Deal me out. I don't believe. The interesting thing to me is it's like, well, they, it's almost like they actually do believe in God, but because God won't do what they want him to do, they don't want to follow him. So it's almost like they don't want to follow him anyway, but now they have a reason to justify why they're not following, and they feel like if they ever met God someday, they can say, well, I would have followed you, but you didn't show up. But people who pray that, they don't want to follow God. They want their circumstances changed. That's the main thing. That's what they're wanting. That's their expectation. And that's first. So, God, you show up and change my circumstance because that's the most important thing to me. Then I'll follow you, and that'll probably last for a while. But they don't really want to follow God. That, that's, that's what I think anyway, in my interaction. But what threw everybody off is that the kingdom was described in such a unique way, that weeds and wheat would grow together, that, that we would exist, the kingdom of heaven would exist side by side, shoulder to shoulder with unbelievers. Nobody expected that. They expected a kingdom that would take over. And there's a reason they expected that, because that's how the kingdom was described in the Old Testament. So over and over, we see in the Bible that the, the Jewish prophets, the prophets of Israel in the Old Testament, their prophet, prophecies always related to Israel. And because of that, 
the Jewish prophets only talked about the one coming of Jesus, but actually Jesus comes twice, and this is part of what he's telling us. But because the prophets were only prophesizing about the nation Israel, that and, and that, all that stuff's going to show up later in time. We're in the middle of the two comings. They didn't see that the first coming of Christ would bring a different kind of kingdom that wasn't so easily visible. A kingdom that's radical, a kingdom that will change your life, but a kingdom that's internal. It's not external. But what those Old Testament prophets, and some of them saw the other coming of Christ, and that's where we get the virgin birth, and he comes humble as a servant that it's like these two prophecies about the coming Messiah were in competition. Well, he's coming with a rod of iron to rule as a king. He's coming meek and mild and shows up and he's born to a poor family. What? It's the two comings of Christ. But mostly they expected, especially because of Rome, they have been focusing on he's going to rule and wipe out his enemies. By the way, that's going to happen it's just not happening yet. And so they saw Israel then and then the restored Israel that's in the future because all world history will revert back to Israel at a point in the future. And that's what the seven years and all that stuff, all that prophetic stuff is about that we talk about occasionally and we'll talk about again. But anyway, so that's what's going on. That's what's wrong with their expectations. And then when he says, when Jesus says it fulfills the prophet of the things hidden from the foundation of the world... What's hidden from the foundation of the world? This age, this time in between Jesus coming the first time and His second coming, which was described in Scripture as a mystery, which is the mystery or the hidden things from the foundation of the world that the Old Testament prophets didn't accurately see, but that Jesus inaugurated by planning His kingdom now. So that's the first thing. The King has come to plant His kingdom. It doesn't look like what everybody expected. The second point, the second truth that we need to get is that the king is patient. He's patient even while his reign is being challenged. And really, this patience, the heart of a king. There's all this farming, all these farming analogies in, this is our second one here, and, uh, and we actually have farmers in our congregation. They're hardworking people, great guys. And, but what I've noticed as I was thinking through this is farmers, they got to have patience. Think about it. You know, and farmers work hard and they get everything ready to plant. Of course, in the winter, they're fixing their equipment and getting everything ready for the, for the busy time and, and all this stuff. But then they plant, right? So they finally get all the crop in. Everything's planted. And then what happens? Nothing, right? The next day, what do you got? You just have dirt, nothing. And the next day, what do you have? Nothing. And the next day, what do you have? Nothing. You know, and it just takes a while, right? It takes time for the seeds to germinate and then sprout and then grow and then produce. It just takes time. And so what's happening here are these tares, and, and everybody thinks that this is, which I agree with, that they, this is referring to a certain type of weed, a family of the Darnell weed, which grows up. It looks like wheat until it starts maturing and starts developing a head or the fruit. And then you can tell, whoa, 
something's off here. Not all this is doing that. Those are the weeds. So there's this time involved, and the, the servants are like, well, we gotta go, we got to go deal with these tares. we got to deal with the weeds. we got to get these things out of here. And, and the owner who represents Jesus says, no, no, we're going to wait. Patience is at the heart of the king. Patient, Jesus is patient while his, his children, children of the true kingdom, rub shoulders and maybe even struggle with children of the evil one. Now, we know beyond this parable that we were all tares to begin with. But this big thing comes up about why are we, why is the kingdom commingled right now? Why is the wheat and the weeds allowed to grow together? Why are we rubbing shoulders with unbelievers? And Jesus is saying, that's the whole point. Because we impact the world. Now, when he tells that parable, and that's two things would have stuck out to the people listening, the disciples, that now they, they get to follow up and ask him the question. They're like, not interested in leaven, not interested in the mustard seed. That whole tear thing, the weed thing, that get, I, that, I want to hear that. And I think there's two things that perk their, their thought. Number one is this mingling of the kingdom and, and the, the owner allowing that. And the second thing is the whole judgment. Notice they don't say, I want to hear about the parable of the wheat. They say, I want to hear, we, we want, can you explain the weeds? What's up with that? And so that's where they're going. That's, that's what they want to know. But, but I believe, because it's commingling, I believe that's exactly why Jesus told those next two short parables, the mustard seed and the leaven or yeast, because those are parables they understood. They didn't need that explained. And what is that? Something very small, smallest seed that we would plant in Palestine grows into the biggest plant that we have a use for in Palestine, kind of a deal, biggest plant in the garden. And then a little pinch of leaven changes the whole lump, the whole loaf of dough. And that's, so he's saying, just a little thing will change and impact and permeate and drastically change the big thing. And so he's saying, yeah, there's wheat and weeds together, but the whole point is that we would rub shoulders, that we would make an impact, the wheat would make an impact on the tares, and tares would become wheat. I mean, that I believe that's what he's trying to explain to us in the next two parables that follows that up. And that, what, what's that mean for us? Well, we see it at the beginning of the church. Jesus, after his public ministry, he's crucified, killed. Three days later, he rises again. He, he is seen and interacts with people, hundreds of people, for 40 days. He ascends to heaven, and he says, wait. Well, who's waiting? There's 120 people, believers, gathered together. That's all there were in Jerusalem. Then Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and they start preaching with boldness, right? Then thousands of people start becoming believers and we see the little seed start growing and growing. The little leaven start impacting. And then persecution breaks out and bad things happen as the seeds are mingled. But what happens? Then all of a sudden Christianity starts spreading all around the Mediterranean world, right? Until we're, where we are today. And here's another thing. Christianity has greatly impacted the world more than we could ever know. Jesus Christ has impacted the world more than anybody. And what kind of gets me ramped up is when I talk to an atheist, and, and, and the whole point of it, of course, you know, it's our job to win. We don't judge, we win. 
But we all, atheist or believer, benefit from Christianity because it's Christianity that has shaped our world in so many ways, all the good ways. The, the fact that we have hospitals today, where did that start? Christianity. The fact that we don't have slavery, where did that begin? Christianity. The fact that we have education that, that's a lot of times free, especially for younger years, where did that begin with? Christianity in England. I mean, all this stuff that we take for granted and call good actually came from Christianity. And so I, I always try to get an atheist, if I'm talking to him a lot, you know, to see, hey, you're benefiting from Christianity even though you don't believe. But Christ has made a bigger impact on the world than anyone else. And if you start thinking about all those things, you'll see that. The equality of men and women, Christianity. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. All these things that even an atheist would consider good. Where did that get interjected into our world? Christianity, the church. I'll get off that. But anyway, that's just something that gets me sometimes. But the question is, we have this mission where the, when, when the wheat and the tares are together like they are now, we have this mission to impact the weeds. And we were all weeds. We've been impacted by God, and we're shoulder to shoulder with other people that we should impact for God. And the question is, are you involved in that? We should be doing that as individuals. And then Jesus started the church and said he would build his church, but he would do it through people that we would carry his vision and his mission. And so are you involved in that as an individual? And are you involved in that corporately as you come together at Grace Community? Every believer, and that's not everybody in the room, but every believer here, you are a brother and a sister of Christ, and we are coming together in, as God's children, and we are called to impact the world. That's our mission. That's what God wants us to do. That's why God is patient during this time to give us time to impact the world, just like God gave us time for us to be impacted. We want to impact other people, embrace our vision here at Grace, see God impact people's lives. Talked about a little bit about that last time. But our time's limited for two reasons. One is this age will not last forever. That's what Jesus is saying in the parable. And then the second thing that we just know the reality that the people we rub shoulders with, life doesn't last forever. So be just because of our lifespans, we only have a certain time. There's no second chances is what the Bible says. And then that brings us to the third truth, that at the end of the age, the king will gather his own and will judge the rest. Judgment is coming. That's what Scripture says. Now, in our culture, that is not popular to say. As a matter of fact, most churches who say they're Christian churches do not preach that there is a real hell. A lot of them don't preach that there's a real enemy, the evil one, the devil that Christ is talking about in this parable. But Jesus talked about a real hell. You see, our culture's image of Jesus is really a false messiah. It's the nice Jesus that wants everyone to get along, and he's like the benevolent grandfather and wants to give everybody candy, and it's all good, but would never discipline us and would never judge. 
But that's not the real Jesus. Jesus talked about hell. If you want a big dose of that, read, Luke, read the last half of Luke chapter 16, where he talks uh, very graphically about hell. And over and over mentions it as a place of weeping and gnashing or grinding of teeth. Jesus says that over and over and over. Place of suffering. You're, you're separated from God forever. And you're not separated from God living the high life. You're not separated from God partying with your friends like what my dad told me he, he expected to happen. That's not what Jesus is saying. You're separated and you're hopeless and you're weeping, gnashing teeth. Here's how Jesus said it, just a reminder back, verse 41, 42. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think it's because of this judgment, the commingling, but maybe this judgment part that the, that the disciples are like, we want to hear more about that, what's going on there? What's up with that? Because it's huge. The true king, as we would expect, is our rightful judge. And at the end of time, there will be a, a, a judgment. And really, the most important takeaway from the whole parable, because not all the disciples were wheat. Remember, one betrayed Christ. And so the most important takeaway is here is Am I wheat or am I weed? Because that's the most important decision I'll ever make in my life. That, that's the most important thing that could possibly happen in my years on this earth. And if you want to, if you're kind of wondering about that, if you kind of want the acid test then, it's have you come to a place where you are trusting in Jesus as the Son of God who died to take away your guilt, who died to pay the penalty of your personal sins, all of them, number one. Number two, do you realize because of that, that you've aligned yourself with him, that you owe him everything? Because he did what you couldn't buy, couldn't do, couldn't accomplish. Do you realize that you owe Jesus everything? And, and then maybe the third thing in that is, do you see God working in your life? And we kind of talked about this last time. Do you see the fruit? The, you know, what, what, you're, what are you producing? Last time we talked about internal fruit, like the fruit of the Spirit, external fruit, you know, that you're involved in pointing other people to Christ, involved in making weeds into wheat, just like you became wheat. And are you doing that? And if you're looking back on that and saying, yeah, I'm not really seeing so much of that in my life. You see, a lot of people, sometimes you'll talk to people, and, well, when did you become a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. Eh. That is the wrong answer. Nobody's always been a Christian. Scripture tells us, Ephesians, for example, tells us that we're enemies with God. Romans, we're enemies with God. We start out that way. Even though we're not conscious of it, we're not intentionally doing it, we're separated from God. Why? Because of our unrighteousness, our sin. Because we cannot keep the law. That, that's the crazy thing about the Old Testament prophets. They knew all about the law, and they make this whole system to follow the law, like the Ten Commandments. But nobody can do that. 
That's why Jesus came. He fulfilled the entire sacrificial system. That's what the prophets could not see. That's what this age of grace is all about. You need to be able to look back to a time where you made a decision to follow Christ and put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, realizing you can't earn God's favor in any way. And then as you look back to that time, between now and that time, you should be, look, be able to look back through history and see life change, fruit in your life. And last time we talked about, remember, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, when he's talking about the, there's different, how that shows up in people's life is a little different, but there's always fruit. There's always something. Or to make it easy, sometimes people become, so that some people become believers and they drastically change. And it's like the next week, you're like, whoa, everybody around them is going, wow, you're, you're a different person. And some people become Christians and it's a little more internal. It takes a little, long, kind of, little longer to show up. They're dealing with it on the inside, but it's harder to see. And it could be because they're living a pretty moral life. Or they got saved when they were young. Maybe they got saved when they were 12. But then for that person, if that's you, then I would say, well, just look back over the last five years of your life. Because if you don't see yourself producing fruit or growing closer to God or be involved in wanting to, to point people to Christ, or you're more patient, more kind, more loving, you know, all those things, well, then that's a red flag that you need to address because judgment is coming, and it's only in Christ that we can escape that kind of judgment. Is that you? Do you recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the only one who could pay for your sins? And if you're a little foggy on that, do not leave this building. Or do not, you know, maybe you need to do it on the ride home or whatever, but it's simply praying to God and He will hear you, I, I guarantee you. Admitting that you're a sinner, that you violated His law, that you are unrighteous, that you blew it, that you messed up, that morally you're in the wrong. And then understanding Christ died to pay for that sin, the correct punishment, the punishment you deserve, Jesus took on himself. And that's the only way that you can be forgiven. And place your trust in what Christ did and, and Christ did alone. And then invite him to come into your life and help you to live like he's king of your life. Because if he's king, we owe him everything. Our time, our money, our abilities, we owe him our entire life. And that should show up in how we live. Because one day, everything will be set right. Everything that we think is out of whack, God will make it right. But along with that comes judgment. But a new world's on its way a new world that the Old Testament prophets talked about, a world without sorrow, hatred, or grief, a world without racial strife or loneliness, a world without poverty or sickness or injustice, you know, a world without unhappiness or mental illness or broken family. Uh, and when that world comes, 
then you as a believer, finally, you will be home with your Father. And you'll live in a world that He has planned for you, that Jesus has made for you. And you'll be with Him forever. And everything will be right. Or as Jesus says, then the righteous, and and by the way, that's us who have been cleansed by Christ, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God, first of all, we thank you for your patience. Lord, that you would uh, allow us time before everything is set right and, and justice has to come to do that. Lord, to impact people just, just like we've been impacted. Lord, that we would rub shoulders with people who are just like we were so that we can point them to you. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to do that. Help all of us who are, who are truly we truly your children, just based on a gift through faith. Lord, help us to be all about your agenda, your purpose, and your mission on this earth. And Father, for those standing here with us who aren't part of your kingdom, and, and there are some here, Lord, we pray that you'd help them to see, draw them to yourself. And Lord, help them to understand that it's not bitter to submit our lives to a king who died for us. And Father, I pray that you'd help them to understand their, their sin like we all have and that their, their correct and just punishment is separation from you forever because of your holiness and righteousness. But as a gift through Jesus, you offer forgiveness because of what Christ did when he died on the cross. That's the only way. And Father, I pray that they would turn to you and pray to you right now if that's what they need. Lord, admitting their sin, asking for forgiveness based on what Jesus did, knowing that's the only way, and inviting you to come into their life and help them to live like you're their king. Lord, help us all to live like you, our, that you're our king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next week here at Grace.